Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Going all the way back to the Laconic Spartans, the ability to be succinct in one's communications has been to others a sign of strength and a well-appreciated gesture. But it's a skill that's never been more important than it is today when people are bombarded with information and don't have the bandwidth to digest long and convoluted messages. My guest today is an expert in helping people get to the point. He's the founder of the Brief Lab and the author of Brief, Make a Bigger Impact by Saying Less. His name is Joseph McCormick, and we begin our conversation with how his work grew out of his development of a communications curriculum for the military special operators. We then discuss how being brief is not just about conciseness, but first about achieving clarity and the high cost of not shaping our communications with these qualities, especially in a world where attention is a scarce resource. Joe explains why it's actually harder to exercise verbal discipline than it is to use lots of words and four techniques to make your messaging more clear and more concise. We then discuss how to apply these techniques to shortening meetings, condensing emails, and distilling how you describe your role when people ask you what you do. And we end our conversation with how to create more meaningful interactions during fluid conversations by actually preparing for these encounters rather than simply trying to wing it. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash brief. Joe McCormick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you are the founder of an organization called Brief Lab and also the author of a book called Brief. And what you do is you basically, you, you train individuals and organizations on how to be more brief and get to the point with their communication. And the backstory about how this all started is interesting because what happened was several years ago, you got asked by U.S. Special Operations Command. They came to you and said, can you create a curriculum about communication for us? So what was going on there? What was the problem that U.S. Special Operations Command was looking to you to solve? Well, think about, when you think about special operations, they're elite military people, and they're, they do everything at a high level. And about almost a decade ago, I got, I got really one of the most important calls, if not the most important call in my career, which was somebody from their command called me and said, hey, we heard about you, and I was at the time ran a mar- marketing agency, and we just need to be taught how to be more intentional, how to be clear communicators. And people expect us to do this, but nobody's ever taught us how. And what they were trying to do was like fix it by like public speaking, which wasn't working. And and they, they do everything at a very high level, but nobody ever taught them how to do it. And they started realizing like, we need help here because in the military, they do briefings. And those briefings are, they're trying to simplify complex things. They're doing it with a time urgency. And obviously there's a lot at risk. And they've started seeing like, Hey, this is not going well. And and they called me and I, and I'm, I'm like, sure. I'll. And that's where the, the work started. And, and they started, they asked actually asked me to like, you should write a book about this. And that's where brief came from. I mean, how did the needs of U.S. Special Operations Command, how has that shaped the entire, you know, your entire I guess, philosophy or training that you do with brief? I mean, when it started, it it started as just a unit asking for help. So it wasn't like, hey, we want everybody to. It was literally there were individuals and people that were communicating at pretty high levels, and what they wanted to be is is consistently clear when they communicated, where they were taking out ambiguity. There was less misunderstanding that it was easier for them to say or write, and the person says, "I get it, and I know what to do," and. That really was the genesis. So I start, what I started doing was designing courses and exercises and experiences to teach them to communicate like they shoot with precision. 
So when they go on a range and they shoot, they're not thinking, well, let's see how this goes. There's a series of practices that they do to become very, very accurate. And what they asked me to do was teach us how to do that when we communicate. And I had collected, you know, 20 some years of experiences doing this with executives at Harley Davidson and MasterCard and some big brands. And I worked in an agency in marketing and, and I was, I knew how to to be clear when, when you're talking to your employees or your investors or your dealers or your customers. And I just translated that into developing a class or a course. And the response was immediate. They were like, this is great. Give us more. And that's validated and really drove the book and the brief lab as a business was created on that initial demand from the guys in special operations. Well, let's talk about what are the costs? You, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about this, the cost of not being brief with your communications. And I mean, maybe give, give us some examples from your, your decades of work training people how to be brief, where, where there's a blowhard that's kept going on and on, and it costs them maybe sometimes not a lot, but sometimes severely. I mean, I think one of the things that there's, there's a lot of different costs. And I think when people start realizing the risks that they run, communication for a lot of people is like, well, you communicate all the time, so you should know how to do it. Well, communicating in an, in an environment where there's a lot of information is difficult. And that's where I wrote a book called Noise, and it's all about constant information overload, and there's a million things going on. And how do you communicate in that environment is difficult. And some of the risks that people run when they're not clear, and I define brief as being clear and concise. It's not just being concise. Because if that were the case, somebody asked ask you like, hey, how was your, how was your program? And you would go, good. You know, that's not, that's too short. So brief is, is in my definition is clear first and then making it shorter, right? So some of the impacts that people have is you, you, when you speak, you misdirect people. So you say something, but they do something else and then you blame them or they tune you out. (laughs) So when you talk, the more you talk, the less they want to listen. That's bad. I mean, if you're, if you're in an environment where you, where how you communicate gives you the ability to do what you need to do and people start tuning you out or ignoring you, it weakens connections. It delays decisions. So I'll hear from people and I, and I spend, you know, when I spend time talking to people, they'll be like, well, I'll think about that. Let me, let me, uh, let, let me get back to you. Oftentimes people do that because they're confused. So they'll delay a decision. There, there might be tension. You don't get hired. If you're interviewing, you might not get funding. You might not get support. So there's a lot of impacts when people are bad at this. No, yeah, you gave some really good examples. Like the ones that stuck out to me was like someone, and this probably has happened to a lot of people who are in sales. Like they talk themselves out of a sale, right? They, the sale is there, and then they just keep talking and talking. And the guys like the person's like, "No, I don't want to do this anymore." Well, let's think about it. it's like it's like fishing. You catch the fish, and then you pull it in the boat, and then you're done. Well, salespeople just keep on talking, and they're like, "Do you want to come in the boat?" You know, they start and they and just keep like the fish swing around, and then they just fall off the hook. One of the impacts for people who sell is over-explaining. Okay, somebody asks you a question, answer the question, but you don't have to give them like, you know, 7,000 words. And we're, people are already, I think one of the biggest issues in our world today is people are oversaturated. You know, they're, they're, their glass is full or nearly full. So when you're talking to them, one of the things that I focus a lot of our attention on at the Brief Lab is your audience is drowning. So don't make them drown more. And if they've got a half an ounce left in the cup, you can't give them 10 more ounces. It just doesn't fit. So you have to find ways to, to shrink the message down, to make it easier for people. And, and I found that people really appreciate it when you do. Like a simple, simple example is imagine you had a sales presentation and you had 20 minutes and the person's like, well, I got it done in 10. 
nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to start complaining because it wasn't 20. They get time back in their calendar. You've lightened their load. It's all that. Well, and so let's talk about the, you know, why you need to be brief. You've talked about executives. Everyone's inundated with information. Just emails are coming in. There's social media posts. There's blog posts. There's so much stuff you're trying to keep track of. So there's that aspect. Being brief just is like lightens the load a little bit. But you also talk about something that's also changing our culture because of all that information inundation. People's ability to focus has also been weakening. So you you have to get to the point a lot faster because they've sort of detrained themselves to focus on on things for a long time. Yeah. I mean, sustained attention, attention spans are shrinking. People are paying attention to many, many things during the day. We live in a 24 seven news cycle. It's people talk to talk. You have access to information constantly from your phone. I mean, it is, you are in consuming mode all day long and it's a noisy world. There's a lot of things competing for your attention. So when it comes time for somebody to communicate, you have to be able to cut through the clutter because you won't be heard. And this is, I think this is one of the things that people, they think, well, when I talk, people will listen to me. It's like, no, they, they can't. It's almost like they're losing their hearing. I know it sounds like a dramatic analogy, but when the world is so noisy, it's almost like people start to become deaf or, or it's harder to hear, harder to focus. So we have to adapt. And I think that adaptation right now is critical for us, absolutely critical, because you can't assume people's audiences, the audience that pays attention. That's a, that's a false assumption. Right. And also people just become more impatient too. I know I have. <laughs> when something takes, I mean, you think about, I had this experience the other day, like something, I wanted something on the internet for, I forgot I was trying to access, but like it took longer than it should have, you know, which was like maybe two seconds. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And I saw the little spinning wheel in my browser and I was getting frightened. I was like, man, this is stupid. But that's the world that you're living with. That's the type of person you're communicating with. Everyone's like that. It's like, yeah, it's like instant gratification. I talked about this in one of my courses recently about like, it's, there's almost like a sense of like, it's the illusion of immediacy is the term that I use. Like it's an illusion. It's, it's, it's that everything I can have now. Well, if you look at technology, technology has trained us to, if I touch my phone, it does something immediately. Well, we transfer that to people. Well, if you're not, if you're talking and it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to move on to the next thing. Is that good? No, but it's what happens. <laughs> people are trained by technology to have immediate response and they expect that in the people they talk to too. So what I'm teaching people is there's ways to manage people to help people manage their attention. This is what we have to help people is how do you talk to people? I can't make the world become less noisy or quiet. I mean, it is inundated with information. So the question is, is how do you communicate in that world? And, and unfortunately, people aren't being taught how to do that. That was one of the things that compelled me to help people focus and to get to the point. And, and when you start to do that, people feel relief because it's like, oh, got it. I know, I know what you're saying. You're making me a recommendation or, or whatever. And you're helping people. And, that, and that's, that's good. And that's where, that's, I think that's where the relief come from, comes from. Why is this hard to be brief? Like, why do people have a hard time with this? Which is kind of counterintuitive. You think, you know, saying fewer words would be easier, but actually saying more is a lot easier. It's a lot easier. And there's a, lot, there's a number of reasons why, if you think about the way people communicate, there's an impulse when people communicate. The impulse is you start talking and you'll figure out where you're going. Imagine if you did that when you're driving. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll figure it out. You're all over the road. So there's there's a number of reasons. I call it like there there's like seven capital sins. People are, cowardice is one. They're afraid. 
if I just tell you like, you know, something very direct, I, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to beat around the bush or confidence. People are really smart and they're super confident. They can't stop talking. Another one is callousness. They're, they're, they're not sensitive to other people. They get comfortable. They're just confused themselves. <laughs> they're, so they, they can just kind of talk it out loud and they're like, I don't even understand it. So if I keep on talking, it'll make sense. And it doesn't, it makes less sense. People are, some people are just complicated. They don't know how to be simple. And I think the last thing is careless. So there's a lot of different reasons why people struggle with it. But the thing about it being brief is it's not just about being concise. It's first and foremost, being clear. So what you say makes sense to people. And it is, the, the I, I kind of equate it to like comedy. Comedy is all about being funny. And if, I mean, brief isn't about being concise. It's about being clear. Comedy is about being funny. So those things are intentional practices. I do certain things. And when I do, it's clear. And when I don't, it's confusing. <laughs> and that's really what's at play. So, I mean, it sounds like the reason why a lot of people can't be brief is that a lot of times they just don't even know what they're going to say or what they're, what they want to say. They don't do any prep beforehand and it ends up, they just, it's a word vomit basically whenever they do try to, they try to figure it out on the fly and that's just, that's never going to work. Well, people are busy. So they're one of the excuses, why I don't have time to prepare. Well, okay. That, imagine a comedian doing that. I don't have time to prepare my comedy. So I'll see what happens. It's not going to be funny. So in the, in the world of being clear, Preparation is really important and people don't take enough time to prepare. That That's one really, really big thing. The other thing is just trimming. You know, if you've got to send an email and the emails, you know, let's say three paragraphs long and could you make it two? If you just took a few more minutes, can you cut it down a little bit? Can you give me some bullet points, you know, break it up a bit? I don't think people think about the damage that they do, the noise that they create for other people when they're not being clear and concise. If you're not being brief, this is my conclusion, you are creating noise for people. Meetings, updates, recommendations, pitches, progress reports, you name it. If you're not preparing it, it's probably going to sound noisy and staticky. Well, let's talk about some techniques that you train organizations on how to be more brief. And there's four for techniques you talk about in the book. The first one is map it. This is very military, right? You see the military origin there. So what does map it look like? What are you doing in that with this technique? If you think about like, if you think about um, what you learn in school, like creating an outline, I learned this technique years ago called mind mapping and mind mapping is visual outlining. And it's just draw the pictures of what you're going to say on a page. I think bubbles on a page. And I've, I've developed kind of map out your, you know, what's your main idea, put that in the middle. What are some support ideas? Put those in kind of bubbles around that main idea. And then what are support ideas around those ideas? And it's like, it's creating an outline. What outlines do, it's, it's so interesting. When I, when we teach courses, people like, I'm like, what was the difference? The difference is like, they say to me, when you map it out, it becomes structured, organized. And what happens with communications, it's disorganized. But when it's disorganized, my brain has got to reorganize it. Well, people can't do that because their brains are saturated, so they don't. So it's confusing. So when you map it out, you create an order. It's like uh, it's things become easier to follow because they're structured. So that's yeah, that's that's the first one. And also, when you map it out as well, whether you're doing a mind map or you know sort of the typical outline you learned in school that I, I I still outline like when I write an article, I still outline right like one, two, and then like subpoints A, B, C. Like the other thing that it does, it allows you to like cut information. You're able to see, well, do I really need this point? Probably not. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that you, when you do an outline, it's it, in a traditional outline, which is super interesting, is mind mapping is just a visual version of that. It's, they're not any different. Is when you start, if you think of like point one, sub point A, then bullet point, like you kind of put, you start to see layers of detail. And I, I have this construct right here is like level one detail is the most essential information, right? So that's okay. That in an outline level one, how many level one points I need to make? Level two would be like mid level detail. And level three is like full documentation, right? So I would describe like level one is like the trailer and level three is like the movie. When you create that level of detail, what you help people do is not get hung up on stuff that's the minutia. And outlines force you to do that. It's like just what you said, right? It's like, all right, do I really need to say that? No, okay, I'll just cut that. Or no, I really need to say that. That's now that's essential information. And that's what gets people to clarity is what's take moving like essential from inessential. And the other thing that's useful about an outline, I use when I when I give like a presentation or something, you can outline and you can fill in as much minutiae as you want, right? And let's say time doesn't allow for some of this stuff. Well, you still have your main points. You know you can hit one, two, three, and you'll have a great presentation. It allows you to be flexible and adapt as well. That's precisely right. If you think of it like, if I've got five important things to say, and I say those five things, I'm good. And if the person has more time, I can I can say more, but I've hit those five key things. And that is exactly what people need to be taught how to do, which is say the most important things so the people get it. It makes sense to them. And then if there's more time, you can go deeper, but you're not, you don't defer. You're like, you don't defer or default rather to the long version. You're like, I can explain it in a minute. I can explain it in 10 minutes. I can explain it in an hour. What do you have? <laughs> and then that control gives people a comfort and confidence. And I've seen this with the people that we work with. And it's really really so, makes makes it so much easier for the audience at the end of the day. All right. So outline, your middle school teacher was onto something when she was teaching you outlines. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah that's exactly. I, I said I'm the ghost of your eighth grade English teacher. <laughs> right. Well, the, the, another technique you encourage or teach people how to be more brief is tell it, which is using stories. So how do people, when they typically explain something, if they're not using storytelling, what are they doing usually? And why is storytelling better? They're talking theoretically. So, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'd, I, let, let's say that they're describing their business. Let's say that they, they, um, they own a hardware store or, like, or they do IT support, tech support or something. They speak theoretically. You know, we are a provider of cloud solutions for the internet, da, da, da. And the, and the audience is like, I think I understand what you're saying. But, but then there's this moment, like, let me give you an example. Well, what that does to people that are, their minds are all over the place is it helps like ground the, the the person for a moment. Like I've got an example of, you know, what I do. Tell us, tell me a story, illustrate it, give me an analogy, anything to help paint a picture. It helps people so much because they have they're trying to do that themselves, but you just do it for them. And and that's just I've seen this so many times. I actually, ironically, I'm going to give you a story. So I would we teach people how to do briefings. You know this short briefings in these units within special operations. And I'll have people come up like, what do you guys do? And then they'll stand in, in our courses and they'll be like, I do blah, blah, blah. And then you're listening. You're like, I think I understand. And then I'm like, why don't you give me an example? And it's amazing when they give an example, how much clearer it gets. Okay. I was on a deployment and we were in this country and then I went here and then I talked to this guy and then we did, you just illustrated in that story in 30 seconds, what you guys do. 
if you if you prefer like the theoretical version or the practical with a story, people always prefer the story. So give them a story. Right. Yeah. People and people remember stories more than like a list of facts. It is incredible. Like it's like the Trojan. I, I liken storytelling to like the Trojan horse strategy of communicating. You can pack so many details in a story. And once you give them the story, the memory recall for the details is crazy. It's crazy. And it's so simple. But you got to prepare it. You can't just, most people can't do that on the fly. You have to think in advance. Okay, if I'm going to do a sales presentation or I'm going to a job interview, you got to start thinking about some examples or stories. And those things can really, really help you. Well, yeah, I, I learned this in law school. So, you know, I took a legal writing class. You have to. And one of the things you have to do, you have to write a brief. And when you start your brief, there's like a statement of facts. And you seem like, oh, it's a statement of facts. You just list like X happened, blah, blah, blah. But actually what, are, what you had to do is you had to spin those facts into a, a really like readable narrative because the idea was you want the judge to like not just kind of glaze over this list of facts. You want them to be engaged. And you also, the storytelling, you can kind of, I don't want to say manipulate, but you can kind of, you can, you can frame the story in a way so it's, you know, beneficial for your client or whatever. But yeah, it's all, it all comes back to storytelling. Well, it's what's interesting is magicians do this when they do magic. Many of them are telling you a story and the brain sort of locks onto the story and you start listening to the story and the pieces start connecting. And they, they in this case, magicians, they misdirect your attention to something else so you don't see the magic. But the, but the same thing as you're doing this with a judge, the judges, it, you start to, you're, you're helping manage their focus, just connecting the dots and it is, I'll tell people, like, if you, if you can use an illustration or an example, you know, do it because people prefer it, you know, always give it, give the audience what you want. And I, I think one of the things people could do is just like, let me give you an example and just give them one. It's, it's so powerful. Storytelling is, I, it's incredibly powerful. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. So another technique or tactic is something you call talk tracks. And this is talk, T-A-L-C. What's this about? What are you trying to do with this? I just formed a little simple acronym, which is, you know, it stands for, it stands for talk, active, listen, converse. So the idea is when people communicate, one of the biggest mistakes that they do is they, the analogy I use is the uh, saying rather is it's more like tennis and less like golf. When people talk, they just talk at you. And they just kind of like pound the ball down the fairway. And communication is, is I say something and then I listen to your response and then we converse and we go back and forth. It's getting the audience, getting the person you're talking to into a conversation and, and creating this rhythm where I say something and you say something. It's, it's actually, it's exactly what we're doing right now. And it just, it, it's those pieces of a person says something, I actively listen, then I comment, I converse back, forth, back, forth at work and also personally. You create balance in conversations. It's it's almost like a, it's like a game changer, really. And how does how does that help structure your conversations for brevity? I mean, if you think about like I'm talking to a person and I'm listening to how they're responding to me, is gauging if they're hearing anything at all. You know, it's it's you you assume that person people hear you, but how do you know? And the answer is by the response. Well. If you didn't give them a chance to respond, then you don't know if they heard you. So I think in, in basic conversations, you know, let's say that you're you're going to your boss and you're making a recommendation like, hey, boss, uh, you got a few minutes? And the boss, your boss is like, sure. And you walk in your boss's office and you're like, hey, uh, and then you just start talking about all these things you're going to do. And the, your boss doesn't have 
at some point your boss might just like, all right, I don't know what this person's talking about. Like, and then they can't, you got to stop it and break it up a bit. Say a few things, stop, see what your boss says. It's like playing tennis, say something. She says something back. Then you say something and then you get a conversation and then you're actually on the same page, having the same conversation. And that people miss that more, more than they hit it. All right. So we talked about map it. So use an outline, tell it, use stories when possible, or actually just use stories all the time. Anything can be spun into a story. Talk it. So use talk tracks. So pay attention to your audience there, get feedback, you know, look and listen for their feedback, what you're saying. And then the final one is show it. And this is using visuals. This can get tricky though, because a lot of people, they've all heard, they've all experienced death by PowerPoint, right? Where you, they're in some presentation and there's like a visual slide for like every sentence the person is saying. So how do you use visuals in a way that attract attention and doesn't cause people to, you know, their eyes to glaze over and stop paying attention? You just, you just have to think, sometimes there, you can, can I draw a picture? Do I have a whiteboard? Do I have a flip chart? Can I draw a diagram? You know, there's a, like, you know, there's a book, about how to illustrate stuff back of the napkin kind of stuff. Sometimes even going back to the story, like I can verbally describe it. Just, is there any, any is there a picture? A picture's worth a thousand words. So if I'm, if I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation, I got a couple of slides, give me a big image, a prominent Im- image, you know, not, not just don't try to jam a million bullet points on a page. Is there, is there some visual that can carry the day in your presentation? So just, these are just anything you can do to kind of help the audience see it is the point. Well, that's a good point. Don't the bullet, yeah, the bullet points, like don't put your outline of your speech on the PowerPoint slide and like you push the button and like the thing you're saying like shows up on you know slides into the flies into the screen like that it's like what I, when that happens like why why are you even talking i can just read this yeah i mean i think when you look at like when you look at this this whole thing about being brief and the book brief and you know this business that teaching people how to communicate certainly presentations are a moment but that really doesn't take up a lot there's a lot of stuff written on that actually like how to do a ted talk and I think what people struggle with a lot more than that, because that happens kind of few and far between, unless you're like obviously in the presentation business, it, there's a number of other moments that people just struggle with that they don't even think about. You know, like the drive-by, I walk by my boss's office, or I pick up the phone, or I'm sending somebody an email, or I'm I'm in a program or a project, I'm making a recommendation, I'm running a meeting. Meetings are a big one, you know, where it's not clear. It's really not brief. They're long. They're noisy. And you know, that one for people, they just, they're just like, well, this is, I guess, what we do. You know, that's why people love the movie Office Space. You know, they feel like sense of, you know, meeting the bobs. You know, it's like there there are moments where like, yeah, presentations are one of them, but there's a lot more other moments where people can prepare like, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna run a meeting. What's the meeting about? Who's coming? Why are we here? What are we going to talk about? Like the preparing agenda in advance, it's amazing how few people send agendas before meetings and they expect the meeting to have be on time, be clear, get something done. It's insane. You know, so that's, that's a new one that I'm trying to tackle, which is how do you, how do you run a meeting? You're running them on zoom. You know, are you, how are you preparing for it? I'm just making sure people show up. So those are other areas where people need to be clear and concise and, you know, meetings. Well, yeah, let's talk. I mean, I, I like to spend you know the, the the rest of this conversation talking about specific instances where we can apply these principles we've been talking about. And meetings is one of them. I mean, everyone hates meetings. You have a whole section in the book on how to make meetings briefer. And like, as you just said, 
like the number one thing you can do is just like have an agenda. Most people, when they have a meeting, there's no agenda. Or if there is an agenda, it's very vague. It's like, well, we're just going to do a status update. And it's like, and you're there for 45 minutes while everyone goes around the room saying what's going on. And that's just a complete, that's a complete waste of everyone's time because that could have been exchanged via an email or a document. And just that wasn't even, there was like no planning there. So you just wasted 45 minutes of everyone's time. I, it's, you know, when you think about like, if you got a meeting invitation and, and then you got a notification that was canceled, what would be the first, your first emotional response? Yes. Oh, that's so great. Right. You're like, this is great. I just got canceled. Like, think about how bad it is that the first response is, that's like, okay. And then compare it to like a bunch of your friends invite you out to a bar and they canceled. You're like, oh man, I canceled that thing. That's terrible. So how would you make a meeting useful? Well, number one is if it could be an email, don't have it. If you can be in the position of authority, don't have it. Or if you are going to, if it's a necessity, Prepare an agenda. And I, I liken uh, um, meetings to having like a, like a dinner party, people over your house. All right, so who are you inviting? W- what kind of food are you serving? When does it start? When do you have you know, cocktails? When, when does dinner come on? Is there dessert? Like what's the, like the flow? Take five minutes, 10 minutes to kind of write out the agenda. Like, okay, this is what the meeting's about. This is why we're a couple, this, these are, this will, at the end of the meeting, how will you know it's successful? Could you have a minimal level of success? Like I just led a meeting here at our offices in North Carolina with a bunch of colonels. It was a room full of, it was 10 colonels and they asked me to run this meeting. It was a pretty intense meeting. It was about, it was an entire morning and I was asked by somebody in special operations to run this meeting. And the, the topic was pretty intensive and I had a lot of very, very high ranking people in the room. I spent time preparing an agenda and I sent the, the guy that was the meeting owner, my agenda. This is who's coming. This is what we're going to talk about. These are the agenda topics. And at the end of the meeting, if the meeting doesn't go where we want it to go, what's the minimal level of success? In this case, we had, we would identify 10, a list of 10 things. And I did that. And it was so funny because I bumped into a guy that was in the meeting. He's like, man, that was really great. Like that was actually productive. We got stuff done. Well, think about the question you asked me earlier, but what's the risk if you're not brief or you're not clear and concise? If you run a bad meeting, people don't trust you. They don't want to go to your meeting. Nothing gets done. Morale saying, I mean, there's a lot of risks with bad meetings and it's something that people got to fix. Yeah, with meetings, my philosophy has always been like you go to a meeting with like specific problems you're trying to solve that can't be solved via email. If you, if you try to do it email via email, it would take like 50 or 60 or 70 emails. Like that's dumb. That just takes every, that's, you know, you're, you're splitting everyone's attention. You're sucking everyone's bandwidth. Instead, just get everyone in the room for 20 minutes and say, we're going to talk about X problem. And the goal is to have as an action point on how to solve this problem in the meeting. And that's it direct. You have to tell everyone that. So everyone comes in with those ideas, like, you know, to try to solve this problem and you can usually crank it out or get, get things resolved 15, 20 minutes instead of, you know, belaboring it through tons of back and forth emails or like a, a long email or a long meeting where there is no set agenda to solve a particular problem. Yeah. I mean, think about it, like I talk a lot about getting to the point and this is what people struggle to in meetings is in 10 words or less, tell me what the objective of the meeting is. What is the point of the meeting? That is hard for people to do because they're like, well, we want to talk about things. It's like, okay, but but what is the objective of the meeting? What are you trying to do with these people in this amount of time? It's If that's not clear, it's hard to be clear because you don't accidentally land on the point. 
That's why people go in down rabbit holes and they get distracted. Then people dominate the agenda and it's, it's, it becomes mayhem. It's just mayhem. So what I'll tell people is sit down and write out in 10 words or less, what is the objective of the meeting? Do that to identify the three causes of, you know, retention in the company or to finalize the 2021 budget or be very specific. And then why do we need to do this right now? And, and, and to your point, it's like, you're absolutely right. Meetings are for, for discussion, primarily for discussion and decision, not for information dissemination. So if you're just sharing information in a meeting, there are better ways to do that. You can use Slack, you could use email, you can do a pre-read. But when we come together, we talk and we make decisions. And that for pe- people love that. If you, if you do that, I've, I've, I've seen the, the before and after is is people are so encouraged. Well, let's talk about emails because people are just inundated with emails, executives inundated with emails. How can you write an email in a way so that people, like the person you're sending email will actually take action on it and not just put into the trash can or spam? Okay, so the first thing is what's the point of the email? Like don't underestimate the importance of the subject line. So that's the first thing I'm going to look at is what's the point of the email? So in that subject line, what are we talking about? People generally misuse that. Like it's very generic follow up. No, thank you. Second thing is what's the call to action? What do you want me to do? Is this for my response? Is it for my action? What, like, what do you want me to do? Do you answer? Yes, no. Give me a response by like people are very, they have to be clear about the point of the email and what you want me to do with it. And if you're just disseminating information, you don't want them to do anything, then tell them, I don't, this is purely the acronym FYSA for your situational awareness. You don't need to do anything. You just need to know. That's fine. Just tell me. For your, is this for your action? Do I want your feedback? G- generally speaking, there's like for your awareness, for your feedback, for your decision. <laughs> tell me what do you want me to do? And people don't do that, and it's very very hard to respond to them. And then you just delete them or just ignore them. All right. So yeah, like don't bury the lead in your emails. Oh yeah, killer. Don't bury your lead. Tell me what the point of the emails. And and put some bullet points and write them. Try to make them shorter, but write them like you would want to read them. A big block of text. Did I take time to prepare it? Before I hit send, ask myself, if I'm receiving this email, is it easy to know what the email is about and how to respond? If the answer is yes, send it. If the answer is no, don't send it. Because it's just noise for somebody. I get emails from people that are like, a lot of us marketing campaigns, but I'm like, you guys are in marketing and you're writing emails that are so easy to delete. (laughs) They're so easy to delete. Cause you don't, it's just like, no, it's, it's, so and emails are another is, is, is one, I, another one that people struggle with is role definition. What do you do? It's a question that people get all the time. That's not, it's either too brief. Like I file papers and they think that's funny or they give you the long version. So like explaining what your elevator speech is, you know, that in, and, and there's, there, there's a simple way of fixing that. Like tell people first what your title is. I am, you know, I'm, the managing director and founder of the brief lab. And, and then the next thing is, what are you responsible for? I'm responsible for, for setting the direction of the company and writing books and recording my podcast. And then give them a couple of little examples of what you do. And then an end, you know, that's it. Short, sweet. What is your role definition And people like anybody who works at a company should have this down to 30 seconds. What's my title? What am I responsible for? What are some of the things I do and what's the impact I have? That's it. Short, sweet, and you have to prepare it. You can't do it on the fly. You have to prepare it. Right. That's, the, that's another area. That's a recurring theme. Uh, brief, 
brief conversation, brief communication requires preparation. It requires, like you, you have to, yeah. so you actually had to kind of spend a lot of time to be brief, which is sort of counterintuitive. You know why this is? And it's really, it seems so obvious. Like people are like, yeah, you got to be brief. You got to be clear. You got to be concise, but it takes time. And here's the thing. I'm taking time to make it easier for you. That's the point. I'll spend a half hour preparing a five minute update. I, I had a conversation with a guy. Uh, 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 I don't. I don't know what administration it was. If it was the current administration or president or the prior president, he prepared forty hours for a five minute briefing. Forty hours. I'd done work with his organization. Forty hours for five minute briefing. Do we spend five minutes preparing and before we give an, our boss an update? No, we just go in there. How's how's your day? Good. What's going on? And you start talking. Preparation is everything. That's what that's what professionals do. Clear communicators prepare. Amateurs don't. Another sort of situation that you go into specifics about in the book and how to how you, brevity can be useful is delivering good news, but also delivering bad news. So how can saying saying less actually make good news more impactful and bad news less impactful? So one of the things that I, dis- I, I, I saw this once and it was really amazing. I was participating at a, at a national marketing summit for Harley Davidson and they asked me to speak and they did something called a shout out. I might, I might be getting the name wrong, but it was a shout out. So it was all the, all the marketing people for the whole company. And what they would do is really, really cool is between like agenda items in this conference, they would do a shout out. So it would be, imagine like, Hey, my name is Bob and I want to do a shout out to Sally. Okay. And then the room would get quiet. And then Bob would tell the entire organization why Sally needed public recognition. The longer that was, the less effective it was. The shorter and more concise and clear, the more impactful it was. Because people could hear more and less. Say what it is that she did and why it was so impactful, but don't give a speech. And I saw that. I'm like, yeah, good news. Just say it. Your impact on this was singular and you did this and this. Bam, done. Same thing for bad news. You got to fire somebody. You got to give somebody a performance review. Doesn't mean you need to be a blunt object, but you need to make it shorter because you wouldn't want it to be longer either. You know, imagine like somebody calls you in their office and like, they're like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Carlos, you got a minute I need to talk to you about something. And then it turns out to 15 minutes where the person's just giving him going on and on and on and on. No, that's not, you wouldn't want that. So don't do that to somebody else. Make it shorter, prepare it. It's like, here's the deal, Carlos. I need, you need to know about this because it's important. You, you don't show up to work enough. You know, you need to show up to the meeting five minutes early instead of two minutes late or whatever, whatever the issue is. But I'm telling you this because I want you to be better. And somebody's got to tell you. And I just told you, so I need you to fix it. And let's talk about it in a week and see how you're making it better. That's all. And then it's like, all right, done. Versus, you know, being the hammer. So the, both of those, there's two sides of the same coin, really. Yeah, and I know with bad news, I think I have the tendency, I think a lot of people have the tendency when you're delivering bad news, you think, well, if I just say more to like make people feel better, <laughs> right? Because you're just like, <laughs> but actually, I think a lot of times you just, you're, you're talking to make yourself feel better. <laughs> this is like the person pulling the bandit off saying, if, if I pull it off really slow, it's not going to hurt as much. <laughs> That's a, and you're like, wait, I just did it. And it's really, really painful. But no, it's like you, when I counsel people, when you, when you're in this, in this moment of delivering bad news is you first have to think about it before you do it. And then you have to think about what you're going to say. You can't be deciding that in the moment. 
Because what happens is that people don't know what they're going to say, and then they're fumbling over it, and it makes it longer. So what I would recommend to people is, all right, let's say that you have to give somebody, I mean, th- this is an extreme example of bad news, but let's say you have to, somebody has got to fire somebody. Th- these are conversations, by the way, that people remember 20 years later. So it, it, you should prepare for it as the deliverer of the bad news. What I always tell people is, first, ask the person, hey, do you have a minute? And then set the condition. What I'm going to tell you is difficult. It's hard for me to say. So the person's, it's almost like you're tightening your stomach before you get punched. So the person knows bad news is coming. And then you might say to a person, I don't need you to respond right now. I just need you to hear what I'm going to say. So then the person knows that you're really not inviting them into a conversation. You're just telling them the bad news. And then you write it out, but you've said this before you've practiced saying this. So you're not saying it because there's a lot of power. And then you tell them the bad news. You're like, we are cutting your position from the organization effective immediately. The reason why is because the company's not making enough money. And I'm really sorry to do this to you, but today's going to be your last day. And I'll give you some more information on this in the next you know, hour in terms of a pack, whatever. And you prepare it, but it's short, sweet, empathetic, and it just makes it better. And I, and I don't want to deliver that either, but somebody's but preparation, I think, again, to your, your point earlier is, is absolutely critical. And something you bring up in the book too is that a lot of conversation or communication that happens in a workplace is fluid. It's not happening via email. It could be happening in, like around the water cooler or you're walking, just sort of in the hallway and passing. And even in those moments, like you, you, you make the case that you should be prepared to be brief in those conversations. If you, if you only have someone for like two minutes, you have to be ready to give them a pitch or say something that's first clear and then concise. Yeah, I mean, I what I worked. I've worked in a lot of different environments, but you always, people are bumping into each other and they're checking in, they're seeing what's going on and, and you have to be ready. You know, you, you, so you, you, I would always be thinking like, if my customer called me, what would I say? If my boss stopped me in the hallway, what would I say? If I, you know, so these are moments that are, that I know are going to come. What do I have for them? I want to give them a little nugget like, Hey, making a lot of progress on that project or, I need your help with some research. Just be ready for that. If the phone rang, how would you, you know, what would you say? I think people, they're, they're, they just wait for formal settings to do that. But business is a lot of, like a lot of these, it's, it's very informal. It's very fluid. And be, being ready for that just makes you more valuable to a person. Like, all right, this person's like Johnny in the spot. Every time I bump into them, they've got something for me, whether it's good news or bad news or an update, they're ready with something. And as I was reading this book, I mean, this book is primarily directed towards work life, but this stuff can also be applied to your personal life. I was thinking, you know, communication with your kids, right? Like your kids are inundated with information. Their attention span is minuscule. So you have to be concise with them if you want them to, to listen. You have to, well, not concise. You have to be brief, clear and concise with them in order to, to communicate with them. I, I mean, it's, if you think about being a parent, I mean, it's like give, giving instructions to kids, you know, doing your homework, being clear, conversations on the dinner table. I mean, the quality of that stuff goes a long way. And we just talk past each other. This, this book brief is really about the quality of the communication, its clarity, it's how intentional. I don't say things to say them. I'm thoughtful when I communicate. And obviously, that's the, the home family is the most, you know, the personal life is conversations I have with people on the phone? Am I listening to them? You know, how was your day? You know, and being able to answer that in a thoughtful way, telling kids, you know, things that, that they need to hear that are heartfelt, you know, thanking people, 
those 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 things go an enormous way. And I think I think one of the things I'm happy that you said this outside of work is it's not all about my job. It's like what is the quality of my communication with people that I care about. Right. And then again, even then it requires preparation. I think we have this idea that communication in our personal life, it just sort of, in order for it to be authentic, it has to just sort of spring up naturally without thinking about it. It just happens on the fly. But really, I mean, my most meaningful conversations have been where I've thought about what I was going to say before I talk to the person. You know, like something that my, I know my wife does, and I'm really impressed that she does this, Kate, is, you know, if we're about to go have, you know, we're going to see some friends we haven't seen in a while. Like she'll make like a, a list of things she wants to check in on with those people. And it's great because like the conversations, it's a lot more meaningful. And, and I, I enjoy those conversations more when there's sort of a structure and outline to it. You know, you know that the doing things like your your wife is doing is requires people to have time during the day to stop and to think and be thoughtful. So those people people like that you want to be around because they're thinking about you before they even start talking to you. In the book Noise that I just wrote this just came out about a year ago, one of the things that I really recommend to people do is they schedule quiet time every day. Because we're so our, our lives are so busy and we're jumping from Zoom call to Zoom call and it's just we're living in this crazy world and it's like there's no time. And to lower the noise, we have to have quiet. And in those moments of quiet, we can think, okay, what are the things I want to check in? And, and it's, it has almost a twofold benefit. It helps me and my brain lower the volume, but it helps me become thoughtful. And who doesn't want to be around a person that's thoughtful? I'm thinking about other people, about what matters to them. And when I do that, I'm lowering the noise for them. So, but it only comes from quiet. You need you need some time of quiet that we can prepare. Where I'm sure she's going to spend a few minutes to do that. Doing it on the fly is difficult. Well, Joe, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and the rest of your work? So the the, the easiest place to go to is thebrieflab.com. So it's t h e b r i e f l a b dot com. And we have resources. We have a podcast. We've got. You know, plenty of tools that people can download. The book is available on Amazon. There's a lot of places, the book brief, also the book noise. And yeah, that'd be the easiest place for people to go. Fantastic. Well, Joe McCormick, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. My guest today was Joseph McCormick. He's the author of the book Brief. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, thebrieflab.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash brief. We can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to use a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing sharing the show with a friend or family member who you would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only to listen to the podcast, but put what you've heard into action. <laughs>